Welcome to Bloodbath, a true crime podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Jamie. Wait, Ash, did you just say true crime? I did. So if I get really like creepy crawlies from stories about torture, then this probably isn't the podcast for me. I don't even know why I did this case, but I got sucked into it. (laughs) Consider that your blanket warning. And be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get podcasts. It's time for the show. And we're back. Hi. Hello. Another week. Here we are. Another week. We missed last week, but... It was an April Fool's of a day. Let's be real. It was terrible. I'm so sorry that we missed last week. My cat was in dire need of emergency help. So our our mascot of right, our literal mascot. <laughs> he needed to go to the vet. So he's all better now. Um, sorry we missed last week. Mostly that I missed last week. My bad. But Ashley oh, has good. a super long, creepy episode for us this week to make up for it. So please take it I away. Do. Also, if you just heard my microphone moving around, my fat, my fat mascot cat, (laughs) big boy (laughs) Vader was just crawling all over the desk, but just got him down. So when looking for a case this week, after covering a little child killer last, last week, I was like, okay, I need somebody like surviving. I need somebody who went through some shit and survived. Right. So then I found this case, which happens to be a serial killer. But there is a surviving person. Okay. I did not, yes, I did not realize the sheer amount of torture within this case, but we're going to get through it together, okay? Okay, let's go on a ride. <laughs> let's go on a ride. So I'll be covering Robert Berdella and Christopher Bryson is going to be our survivor later. So, Robert Andrew Berdella was born January 31st, 1949 in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. I looked (laughs) up how to pronounce that, so I'm hoping I'm doing it right. He was raised in an extremely Catholic household with his mom, dad, and when Robert was seven years old, his baby brother Daniel came into the picture. Robert's dad would already abuse the fuck out of Robert, hitting him with leather straps, and then when his baby brother came into the picture, it was obvious that he favored him. Also, sorry if you can hear a whining puppy, because there is a whining puppy upstairs right now. <laughs> We're I all going to work good. together with her. Ashley living in her new environment with, like, six other people now, okay? <laughs> <laughs> this is the first Minnesota Minnesota, Minnesota. <laughs> episode. <laughs> so, in school, teachers found it really difficult to teach Robert, but he oddly had really good grades. So, he didn't, go, he didn't do good at, like, learning from them. I think he was probably just more like, I can do it myself, maybe studied himself, or he just learned really easy. But when they were trying to teach him, he was just kind of like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do that. that. (laughs) He was often bullied by other kids because he was severely nearsighted and had to wear these like super thick glasses Mm -hmm. starting at the age of five. And then on top of that, he had a speech impediment. Oh, my gosh. He was was just a walking make fun of me and not not to me. I can safely say I've never been bullied. Oh, wait, 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 no. I've never bullied. I've been bullied. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, uh, you were other way around. Up. <laughs> all sorts of trauma. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Daniel, his younger brother, loved playing sports and being social, just was a social little butterfly and everything that Robert's dad wanted. And Robert was not. He did not like doing sports. He didn't like talking to people. It was just very obvious, like with everything that Robert's dad favored Daniel and he was not afraid to show it. Mm. By Robert's teen years, he had stopped going to church regularly and he was discovering that he was gay. And obviously being in a very abusive, very severe Catholic, pray the gay away type of household, he wouldn't tell people this. Once he was in his tail end of his teen years, he was finding some confidence, but unfortunately it was rooted in narcissistic, condescending, and ill-mannered attitudes mainly towards women. Oh no. Oh no. Which is weird because none of his victims are women. Oh my god. He also, I know, he was just he was just rude to them, but at least he didn't do what he does later to them. But like also I wish he didn't do it to the men that he did it to either. I just wish it never happened, but we're here, okay? We're here. Yeah. He also, within fighting this, like, confidence, I guess we'll call it, he found that he loved cooking, art, and showmanship. I'm and that will come into play later. There's... Mm, no, I'm not going to... No. Gonna... <laughs> no. I don't want... I don't trust you. So Christmas Day, 1965, Robert and Daniel's dad died unexpectedly from a heart attack. And although he was an abusive asshole, Robert did take this really hard. I mean, and no matter how shitty your dad is, you still Exactly. Love him, so. It's still like your dad. It's like, imagine I didn't have a hard time with my mom just because she was on drugs and I got taken away. Like, it's still, even if that person put you through so much trauma, so much shit, that can still be somebody significant in your life and you can still mourn their death. Even if you didn't like them. Like, yeah. that's still huge. So he became super resentful towards his mom after she remarried. And she remarried, like, shortly after his dad died supposedly who knows what shortly is to him but and i mean back he, then it's hard to survive on your own as a single mother especially with two kids so back then it seems like always like mm-hmm. <laughs> nowadays you it's there was like reports that what came out fucking the graphs they were like you cannot have your own home nowadays like you have to have roommates because of the way life is imagine then oh, yeah. when it was like women didn't work but it's I mean, not like not women even didn't money. work they weren't allowed social stigma like yeah if you were unmarried you were seen as like that too like the outcast you were not allowed to like invited to parties you could not get jobs like it was so stupid if you were divorced or or widowed or whatever so it was just dumb. like the dumbest i hate that yeah luckily we've kind of <laughs> evolved a little yeah and i was thinking the same thing with him you know realizing he's gay and then like I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure he probably suppresses those feelings. Nowadays, I'm so glad that more people are more open with those feelings oh, so that yes. they don't suppress them and be turned into serial killers. And also, it's kind of like in the same aspect of even if they have to withhold them with, like, their family, their social media, so they can mm-hmm. they still have a community behind them. They can and still be themselves somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. Which helps a lot, probably. Mm-hmm. So... He became super aloof and spent most Most of his time doing activities alone, like painting, writing to pen pals, and collecting stamps and coins. A thrilling life, to be honest. I mean, (laughs) it's not bad. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, it sounds kind of (laughs) good. I'm like over here, like I could have pen pals and I collect cards and... (laughs) 
Wait, hundred uh, percent what we do. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so although he had really great grades, as I said before, he did end up dropping out of school in 1967. And it was around this time that he dropped out of school that he claimed that he was sexually assaulted by a male coworker at a restaurant that he was working at. Hmm. So at 18 years old, in 1967, Robert enrolled in the Kansas City Institute hoping to become a professor, but ended up realizing just how much he loved cooking, so he became a chef. He became obsessed with the book-slash-movie The Collector, which is about a man that kidnaps a young woman and holds her captive in his basement. He would later say that this had a lasting impression on him, and it would be the catalyst to why he would end up doing what he does. I'm uncomfy. Yeah. So, as we know here, trigger warning on animals and babies. Trigger warning on animal right now, but I'm not going to go into great detail, because why? Uh, On three occasions, at least, he tortured a chicken and a duck, and he was expelled in 1969 for killing a dog in an art experiment. But I love chickens. I know you love chickens, which is why I didn't go into detail. But also, it's animal. We don't need to go into detail, okay? No. So... And we're going past that now. 19 years old, he's arrested for the first time for having LSD and weed on him. By this point, he was also an alcoholic, so good times all around. He was released within five days. I mean, he had no prior to that. He's only 19 years old, so I guess they were just like, bye. (laughs) Okay. He got out and then became a successful full-time chef and even set up training programs to help other people who wanted to become chefs as well. He bought himself a house in Kansas City and filled it up with oddities and antiques. We'll get into those oddities later. I'm scared. (laughs) He was also a member of his local neighborhood's crime prevention. Of course. I roll so hard I can see my spine. Yikes. Robert was now comfortable with being an openly gay man, and he was briefly in a relationship with a man, but that ended due to his love for sex work, which... If you're in a relationship that doesn't mind that, then okay. But this one didn't, <laughs> did mind that. <laughs> so wait, he had he a love for sex work and... or his partner did? Robert has a love for sex work. Okay. Hiring people who love sex work. But it's also a very contradicting thing that's going to come up right now. He would actually try befriending and trying to form actual relationships with the sex workers that he would hire. And he would supposedly try to help them overcome their drug addictions and get them to stop sex working. But when they would not abandon this lifestyle that he didn't like, he would find ways to have control over them. So then he would start loaning them money and allowing them to live rent-free with them, trying to get them to stop. But in return, he got to have sex with them whenever he wanted. Oh my god. What, in the cult? Make it make sense. (laughs) So his collections of oddities were outgrowing his home. So at this time, he quit working as a chef when he was 32 and opened up a store called Bob's Bazaar Bazaar, where he sold a range of unusual items, including drug paraphernalia, shrunken heads, and books on the occult. Okay. It also introduced him to a number of his victims, which is so sad because a lot of his victims were, quote, friends of his. Oh, my God. So, Paul Howell worked a booth near Robert's store, and they quickly became acquaintances. When I say booth and store, it's like a um, a flea market okay. for the starting of it. Yeah. He also met Jerry Howell, which is Paul's son. 
Jerry and his friends would often give Robert some sass about how flamboyantly gay he was, but not in like the way where they were actually being mean. It was like they were like poking fun and they were all actually friends. And Jerry, Paul's son, even confided into Robert about how he and his friends actually would go out and sex work to get raise more money. So it wasn't it wasn't like a mean thing, you know what I mean? Like yeah. they were all buddies, poking fun, knowing how to laugh at one another. As you do. By the early 1980s, Paul had upgraded his little flea market booth to a store building located on the intersection of 39th and Main Street. And his family, along with Jerry, had moved into the house that was right above it. So think Bob's Burgers. Okay. The friendship that Robert had with Paul and Jerry continued. But by this point, 19-year-old Jerry and Robert would often find themselves in, like, little fights here and there. They would get into, like, little heated arguments about Robert... About Robert, like, not either paying him for something or just, like, some some little cat fights. But then Robert, in a turnaround, knowing what works, he'd be like, here, here's some money for some financial assistance. Which would bring Jerry right back in. Mm-hmm. He, he knows how to control best. He's learning. What, in the Tiger King? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I know so, how to control you. Money and meth, you know? <laughs> It's exactly, right? And he uses the money and drug thing within his six victims. He has seven because the seventh got away. And now we're going to go through the victims right now. So his first victim. Hang on to your butts. Okay. Robert. 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 Robert told Jerry he would drive him to his dancing contest. Once he was with them, he offered the 19-year-old some alcohol, which was loaded with Valium. Mm. Once at the house, he gave Jerry a heavy tranquilizer and then tied him up in his bed. Throughout the 28 hours that Jerry was held captive, Robert repeatedly drugged, tortured, and raped Jerry with foreign objects. Later, Robert would recount how Jerry kept asking him why he was doing this to him and begging for him to let him go. He knows this kid. This is his friend. Yeah. Jerry eventually came to his death by either asphyxiating on his own vomit or the combination from the gag in his mouth and the drugs he was forcibly given. Oh. Oh, my God. It's heavy. Yeah. Supposedly, Robert tried to perform CPR, but even if he did, it wasn't to help Jerry. It was to extend the torturing of him longer. Once dead, Robert dragged his body to the basement and suspended his body above a large cooking pot. He made several incisions to Jerry's inner elbow and jugular vein and then left him there to drain the blood from his body. What the fuck? I mean... Once again, remind me to take my meds after this. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say. I know what that alarm is. Um, (laughs) Thankful. I know, like, in the worst way possible, thankful that he died and did not have to endure more torturing. Yes. But what the fuck, man? I know. Why? Why? What? I know exactly Why? the thing you're feeling when you say that as well. There's another person that will come mm. across okay. that I kind of is like, fortunately, they didn't last very long in his hands because one of these victims lasts six weeks. Oh, my fuck. So the next day, he dismembered Jerry with a chainsaw and bowing knives and wrapped his body parts into newspaper, stuffed them into garbage bags, and then put those garbage bags into another bag and placed them outside for the trash to pick up, which they did. Nobody ever knew. Okay. Your face. I don't, I'm not Thanks, I hate it. 
Officers right. came by to question if he knew about Jerry's whereabouts, to which he told them that he dropped him off at dance at the dance competition, and he hadn't seen him since. And they, they didn't have anything else, so... Yeah. Jerry Howell would end up dying at the age of 19 and is believed to be Robert's first actual victim, like killing. Victim number two, April 10th, 1985, 20-year-old Robert Sheldon, we'll call him Sheldon so we're not confused here, mm-hmm. uh, learned about Robert and that he would often give people a place to stay when they were down on their luck. Robert took him in, but he had to have a job to pay for, for rent. Robert would say that he was still an inconvenience, but it's noted that Robert did not find him attractive, so it's suspected that that's why his presence irritated him. Because he was—he literally had a job, was helping him pay rent, but yet he was still aggravated by him. And I a really killer, that. exactly. And a killer will do what a killer does. And on April twelfth, he drugged him. He drugged him with sedatives. Jesus, that's a hard one. <laughs> Wait, like April 12th, like he moved in and two days later? He moved in, yeah, two days later. He was like, okay. Because he didn't plan on killing him because he didn't find him attractive. And then he was like, whatever. I can't mm-hmm. even imagine not even giving someone two days and you're like, mm, all right, let's fucking murder you. Literally because, I mean, you can't imagine murdering someone. So let's start True. there. <laughs> but like, uh, you're ugly. You have to die. Right? And... But even worse, like, you're not ugly, so now I want to kill you and make it last longer. There's no, like, there's no, like, weighing out what's worse than the other, but it's all, it's all just so fucked up. Okay. So he drugs him with sedatives and held him captive on the second floor for three days. Sheldon endured forms of torture, such as, oh, okay, swabbing of drain cleaner in his left eye. So he would, like, put drain cleaner on a cotton swab and then swipe it on their eye. Why? And what? Why the left one? And why? I don't know. Also, oh my God. he would insert needles under his fingernails. Oh, I'm done. I'm out. And I'm bound out. his wrists with piano wire, intentionally oh. damaging the nerves in his hands. Robert would admit that since he did not find Sheldon attractive, that he, quote, expressed some of the anger and frustration that I had towards other people. He used him. The only reason why Robert decided to suffocate Sheldon quickly was because a workman was coming to the house to repair the roof and he needed to make sure nobody would know Sheldon was there. He then later dissected Sheldon's body in the third floor bathroom. Yikes. Yeah, I know. So, victim three is Mark Wallace. He had helped Robert with some yard work once upon a time. And upon recently, he found Mark in his tool shed, hiding, trying to find shelter from a severe thunderstorm. Of course, Robert finding him offers him to come inside. He noted that Mark seemed to be having a lot of anxiety and offered to help him out. He willingly let Robert inject him with Chloropromazine? Chlorpromazine. Chloropromazine. Mazazine. Chlorpromazine. Chlorpromazine. (laughs) (laughs) Chlorpromazine. Sure. Yeah. That's what he got injected with. And he willingly let him do it because he told him it would help him calm down. Like, and he thinks he could trust this person. 
Within 30 minutes, though, Robert had him captive, carrying him to the second bedroom where he would be tortured. So, chlorpromazine is used to treat patients with schizophrenia. Oh, so it's like not if, like 100% why. <laughs> it's an antipsychotic, not an antidepressant or Depressing. anti-anxiety pill. pill. Oh, it, it is, is lying. literally antipsychotic. Like, that's the stuff they give you and you're like... Bleh. Oh no! When like when you see in the movies when they're all like freaking out on the bed and they yeah. give them that needle injection and then they go flat, flat. Oh that my kind god! Of stuff. It is a sedative for antipsychotic and it's antipsychosis. So. so he uses that. That's like his his go to. Yeah. Is what is that's what he uses. So once upstairs, Robert clamped alligator clips to Mark's nipples, and anytime he began to like fall asleep or like go out of it, he would electrocute him. Oh, my God. As I was saying, like, earlier, it's very unfortunate that he does die. But it's fortunate that he only lasts about a day. While Robert was experimenting with hypodermic needles, inserting them into various muscles upon the victim's back, Mark died during this through a combination of the drugs, the gag, and the lack of oxygen. He died around 7 p.m. on June 23, 1985. Oh, my God. Which brings us to victim number four. September 26, 1985. Oh, thanks. Thanks. You're welcome. Don't ruin my birthday, please. You weren't even born yet. An acquaintance named James Ferris called Robert and asked if he could stay with Robert for a little bit. He agreed, knowing damn well that he was going to be his next victim, and they met at a bar. All of his victims had gone through absolute hell. But Robert would admit that his last three victims were the ones that he truly was trying to inflict the most pain on. Great. So we're not even through the worst of it. Thanks. I hate it. I mean, he kind of recycles things. And also his goal, I'll let you know now, it's coming up, is that he wants a sex slave. He wants somebody to cooperate. Which will be his downfall. Thank God. But we'll get there. So Robert brought Ferris home drugged him, and then crushed some more, like, tranquilizers concealed inside of his meal. Like, gave him food and was like, here you go, here's food. Out. Down for the count. He then ties him up onto his bed and then tortures him and rapes him for, like, 27 hours. Oh, my God. This included... Repeated 7,700 volt electrical shocks to his shoulder and testicles for up to five minutes in each instance. For why? Then he was like practicing with acupuncture, with hypodermic needles to the neck and genitals. He would gradually like become delirious and he was unable to sit up by himself for longer than 10 to 15 seconds. Now, what I haven't told you up to this point is that Robert kept a very detailed book about all the things that he did to his victims and all the information that he was, like, gathering from them as if he was, like, a mad scientist. I'm going to throw up. In this book, for James Ferris, he had noted that he had become, like, very delayed breathing and that James died from a slang term that he used in his own career. So it's a a term that he made up called 86, which meant anything from throw it out to stop the project. So that's actually what they use in the chef industry. They're like, 86 that. That means it's Gross. out. Gross. Yeah. The way it was trash. like made in the article made it sound like he made it up. And that's that's so stupid. He probably yeah. told people he made it up. Probably. But yeah, if you 86 something, it means it's out. Throw it away. It's oh my menu. God. 
gross. Ugh. Ultimately, unfortunately, we don't really know the exact cause of James's death. Okay. So, victim five was 23-year-old Todd Stoops, who was a drug addict and sex worker. Him and his wife were actually in the same boat, so they were both sex working and they were both in it together. And back in the day at one point, Todd and his wife actually lived with Robert. Well, okay. June 17th, 1986, while at the Kansas City Liberty Memorial, he ran into Todd. He invited Todd back to his house for lunch and offered some money for sex. Robert knew he needed money for sex because he Todd had asked him if he had any drugs on him. So he was like, no, but do this for me. I'll do this for you. Okay. Todd would be held captive for two weeks. And it is reported in his book the reason why he was held for two weeks is because of how attractive Robert found him. Uh, uh-uh. Yep. Robert would increase Todd's torture to make him into a more compliant sex slave. Robert used electrical shocks through his eyes in an attempt uh. to blind him and injected drain cleaner into his larynx to try to silence his screaming. June 27th, Robert ruptured Todd's anal wall with his fist, causing bleeding and discharge. He would try to feed Todd ice cream and soup, but he could not keep anything down. By the second week, he was unable to sit up by himself. And by July 1st, 1986, Todd died due, his, due to his ruptured anal wall, which caused a septic shock. Oh my god. We're almost through this, okay? I'm uncomfortable. a survivor, we're all going to be cheering Christopher on, Okay. Uh-huh. But these people's lives, they matter. Their names deserve to be known. And Yeah. Ugh. So, victim six. 20-year-old Larry Pearson came into Robert's shop telling him that he had a fascination with witchcraft and wizardry, wizardry <laughs> <laughs> since he was a little kid. Eventually, Robert invited Larry to come live with him, and for rent-free, he could just keep up the house cleaning and do the chores. Robert did not plan on killing Larry, but when he bailed him out of jail one day, he was talking about how he participated in robbing gay men in Wichita. This triggered Robert, being a gay man himself. Mm-hmm. He's like, uh-uh. Nuh-uh. But this is not how you go about that, okay? No. That evening, he made sure Larry was extremely intoxicated and then injected him with chlorpromazine. Chlorpromazine. <laughs> <laughs> moved him down to the basement and bound his hands over his head he would be held captive the longest six weeks Whew. robert injected drain cleaner into larry's larynx to keep him from screaming it's and according to robert's book larynx larynx larynx, larynx. yeah larynx. <laughs> okay sorry according to robert larry was the most cooperative victim by day five, Larry had been through repeated electrical shocks, several bones in his hand being broken with an iron rod, and continuous rapes. Throughout this, Larry had gained a sort of trust by Robert, and he told Larry, if he cooperated, that he would not inflict as much pain on him. Eventually, he was, quote, rewarded with being moved to the second-story bedroom. Through the next six weeks, Larry taught himself to sleep without moving so that he would not upset Robert or be sent back to the basement. Oh, my God. Larry could no longer take the treatment, and while being forced to perform oral sex on Robert, he bit down hard. Like, hard. 
Oh. Robert, with a very bloody dick, began bludgeoning Larry and then suffocating him with a bag before rushing off to the hospital. And some say that he needed a surgery. Some say it was just stitches. But Larry did, did the Lord's work in that situation. Fortunately, he didn't make it out, though, because once he got back, Larry dismembered him with the chainsaw in his basement. And then when he cut his head off, he put it in a plastic bag and put it in his freezer Mm -hmm. and then would eventually bury it in his backyard. And now we're at our last victim. 22-year-old Christopher Bryson was a sex worker when Robert found him and lured him back home in promise of payment. Christopher was knocked unconscious with an iron bar as soon as he got into the house. He bound Christopher to his bed where he recycled the same torturing techniques that he's been using with everybody else. But within several days, Robert told Christopher that that he was beginning to trust him, that they could talk about the aspects of the abuse and torture he was inflicting but that there would be absolutely no negotiations when it came to what Robert wanted slash when he wanted sex. So he's doing something. Because within a few days, Christopher has his trust. Robert finished this discussion with a stern warning, and this is the quote, I've gotten this far with other people before, and they're dead now because of mistakes they made. Like, the actual definition of victim blaming? Yeah. You know? Um, Fair. (laughs) By the third day, Christopher had gained an abundance of Robert's trust. He had persuaded Robert to tie his hands in front of his body instead of over his head. Yes. And then he told Robert it was cutting off his circulation. And for some reason, Robert was just like, okay, like, I could trust you. He even allowed Christopher to have a TV in the bedroom and the remote control to be, like, placed between his legs so that the hands that are tied in front of him can get to the remote. So when he's not there, he can watch TV. Robert headed to work one of these days, and Christopher noticed that he had accidentally left some matches in the room with him. So he was able to burn away the rope that had him tied up. Oh, shit. He was on the second floor, and the door was obviously locked, so the only option he had was to jump out of the second-story window wearing nothing but a dog collar. When he jumped out of the window, he broke his foot when he landed, but still found the strength to fucking run. Oh, my God. He saw a man across the street started yelling at him to, to help him and call the police, and the dude, like, leads him into the house. And over, I'm over here like, I don't know if I want to go inside. <laughs> like, I've already went into one stranger's house. I don't know about that. But yeah. luckily... We don't have, like, imagine if, oh, my God, if this was another bad guy. Fuck. What are the chances, though? Like, that's, like, the, the joke of the, the guy hitchhiking, gets in the car, and he's like, how yeah. do you know I'm not a serial killer? And he's like, exactly. what are the chances the two serial like, killers are in the same car? <laughs> and they just stare at each other the entire time. Like, the trauma. <laughs> but luckily, this is a good guy, and the cops are there within, like, minutes. Nice. So, poor Christopher, not wanting to get in trouble for sex working, which is so fucking sad, that he has to, like, worry about that on top of everything that he's just been through. He right. tells the officers that he was hitchhiking. Okay. And that Robert had kidnapped him, raped, and tortured him for four days before escaping from the second-story window. He told them he had been held against his will, repeatedly sodomized, drugged him, injected his throat with drainer cleaner to diminish his ability to speak loudly. As Christopher spoke, the officers also noted that in addition to the dog collar and broken foot, he had red, swollen eyes and visible scars and welts across his entire body. Christopher so was taken like to the hospital. 
huh yeah they're, they're like, like okay yeah. yeah so far so so good at like telling the truth and like hearing him out you know yeah so christopher was taken to the hospital with an officer staying with him the entire time Two more were instructed to maintain a discreet surveillance on Robert and his property, and then a fourth officer radioed in to the Kansas City Police Department to request a formal search warrant for Robert's Robert's (laughs) property. Robbers. Cops and robbers. (laughs) (laughs) So, while at the hospital, Christopher was questioned more about what happened. He said he was held against his will by Robert at 4315 Charlotte Street, who has subjected him to four days of repeated sexual abuse, humiliation, and torture. Christopher also told police that his captor had shown him Polaroid images of men who appeared to be deceased. With the explanation that these had been previous individuals who had unsuccessfully attempted to collect as his sex slaves. Congratulations, you played yourself, but also you're a piece of shit. Yeah. He told Christopher that he had no intentions on ever letting him go, but that he would not kill him if he cooperated. That if he became a a nuisance, though, he would either be subjected to greater levels of torture or that he would just kill him. Okay. Wow. So, like, I think that alone had it so as soon as he saw his possible out, he was like, fuck it. I mean, they're going to die quickly right now or I'm going to get out of this. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It's, that was almost like borderline telling telling your whole plan. You know what I mean? It's like, if you're uh-huh. sitting there, you're like, I'm never letting you go. And it's like, okay, well then I'm going to outsmart you, motherfucker. Like, Yeah. I'm going to fight till I fucking die because you're going to exactly. kill me anyway. So might as well. You're going to kill me anyway. Exactly. So this piece of soggy bread would not allow the cops inside of his house, to which they were like, um, cool. Well, you're under arrest and we have a search warrant. So go fuck yourself. Once inside, detectives went to the second story floor where Christopher said he escaped from. They found burnt ropes, just like how he described. Also in the room, there was an electrical transformer plugged into the wall. Yikes. Yikes, indeed. Not an average Monday for these guys. Mm-mm. And uh, there's also wires leading to the bed. So, like, electrical wires, piano wire, all that type of stuff. Uh-huh. A metal tray co- tr- containing syringes, small bottles apparently containing prescription drugs, swabs, and eye drops were also close to the bed. An iron pipe, various lengths of rope, and leather belts were found. And investigators also noted that posts on the bed had been extensively worn, suggesting that restraints had either been tied to these posts and that the individual or individuals had struggled to free themselves. Inside the closet, they found a human skull, and outside they found a partially decomposed human head. Larry's. In the backyard. Uh Uh-huh. They found several human vertebrae scarred by both hacksaw and knife marks stowed in a hallway, and several human teeth stowed in two envelopes. A chainsaw was also found to be soiled with bloodstains, flesh, and pubic hairs. Oh my god. A luminol test revealed the bloodbath that took place in that basement. The entire basement and two plastic trash barrels lit up like a really fucked up Christmas. Three hundred added bloodbath, but also gross. I, I couldn't. It was. It was. <laughs> if we weren't named bloodbath, I would have used the name bloodbath still. It's just a title, okay? Mm-hmm. Three hundred and thirty-four Polaroid pictures were found in Robert's house. That's a How lot. does he have the money to have that? 
<laughs> like Polaroid yeah. little little things. Those are not inexpensive. There are pictures of Christopher and several other men, both while they were alive and also dead, and some of the photos even were taken during their tortures. Numerous restraints and sexual devices, pornographic literature, hypodermic needles, and a book on narcotics were also found. Then the ultimate guide to congratulations, you played yourself. On top of a dresser, they found Robert's notebook detailing all the torture logs he had made on all of his victims. What? They found several newspaper clippings. I know. I mean, already, but like just just an an added dose of fucking moron. They found several newspaper clippings from the Kansas City Star about Jerry Howell's missing, and they found the driver's license to Jerry in a wallet inside the closet as well. Oh, my God. The Kansas City Police Department assembled a special task force of 11 detectives and one sergeant to focus only on this case. They discovered he was really well-known in the Kansas City male sex working. Many of the men the detectives talked to said that they were very reluctant about going with them because a lot of the times the people that went with them did not return. Surprise, surprise, because he fucking tortured and murdered them. Yep. And get this, missing people reports were made on both Jerry and James. And he was questioned and denied everything. And authorities didn't have enough, so they weren't able to like go further with questioning. Mm-hmm. I believe it. So Robert was initially formally charged with one count of felonious restraint, one count of assault, and seven counts of forcible sodomy as as the investigators continued their investigation into the discoveries at his property. And the task force continued to compile further charges against him. So right now he's being held on that so they can get more information. His bail was set to $500,000, which is well over a million dollars today. And the skull found inside Bridella's closet was identified as Robert Sheldon through dental records. Oh, shit. Two people called in the hotline from the media. So the media put out uh, photos of people. And two separate people called in identifying Mark Wallace, letting them know that they went to high school together. A call then came in and identified Larry Pearson, which they then matched to dental records. July 22nd, 1988, a grand jury formally found Robert guilty of murder of Larry Pearson. The next month, he was arraigned and pled guilty to the first-degree murder of Larry. He only pleaded guilty to this because he wanted to get away from the death penalty. His prosecution team told him, if he doesn't, you're going to get the death penalty. The judge insisted that he confess under oath, which, like, do you really think he has much of a conscience? Right. Why does that matter? He was questioned under oath, to which he said... Oh, to which he had to answer the judge's question on how he did it. And he said, I put a plastic bag over his head and tied it with a rope and allowed him to suffocate. When asked if he performed this act deliberately and with malice afterthought, Robert simply said yes. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. He had a second court hearing for Christopher Bryson, to which he pleaded guilty again in order to escape the death penalty. This gave him another life term without parole, and he was also sentenced to another seven years for one count of felonious restraint against Christopher. A little Fuck extra sugar for Christopher. Fuck your next life and sprinkle he then, a little bit again, of spice. He <laughs> pleaded guilty for the other five murders 
so he wouldn't get the death penalty. He, oh originally, God. he wasn't going to. And, like, his his prosecution team had to be like, dude, doesn't fucking matter. You have to or you're going to have the death penalty. And little Robert over here is just so afraid of it. They were like, you gonna die. <laughs> you gonna die. Ron, you gonna die. <laughs> you gonna die. So... In this agreement, he had to confess in graphic detail on who and how he killed each young man. He also mm. had to tell them what he did with their bodies or the death penalty would commence. These confessions I'm were sure, given to prosecutors, huh? I'm sure that the jury like was sitting there and within like within five minutes they were like, Nope, done. You They're like, you. We didn't sign fuck up for you. this. No. <laughs> they're they're tortured as well. Like Oh, hundred percent. Like there better be some type of counseling for a jury like this right oh my god oh my god can't imagine i'm in like a bunch of obviously like my favorite murder morbid all their facebook groups and stuff and this one girl got jury duty and she's like excited for it and like i get it but also if you get handed something like this no no thank you no 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 <laughs> just no big oof the Oof, duh. <laughs> <laughs> so, these confessions happened between December 13th and December 15th of 1988. In his confessions, he says, These were not people that I thought of. Once I had them bound and was using them, they became something other than people to me. I never thought it out to the level of, What if one of these bodies gets loose? What if one of these bodies gets loose? How about mm-hmm. that's someone's kid? That's that's someone's brother. Like, uh, yeah, fuck you. That that's the thing that always gets me is like they don't see them as human. They don't see their victims as humans. It's like, no. bro, just like eye to eye, you're torturing somebody. I am a person. Like even in my moments of like, I had a rash decision where I like smack somebody. I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. Immediately, I'm like, oh my god. What did I do? You know? Yeah. And usually, like, you smack somebody because they're, like, tickling you. Like, it's not even Or biting you. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. <laughs> That's going to be taken real weird. <laughs> do not bite me, ever. <laughs> well. <laughs> I will whip your head back so quick. So, while in prison, he made several complaints with prison officials regarding the prison conditions. Mm. You, you don't like prison? Don't do stupid shit. Aww. Aww. <laughs> Play stupid games, win stupid win prizes. Stupid prizes. <laughs> <laughs> so he wrote prison officials that the guards know of his high blood pressure, but was not giving him his heart medication. Oh, I feel so bad. Oh, no. And at 2 p.m. on October 8th, what day is it? Wait, no, October 3rd. Damn it! 1992, <laughs> uh-huh. Robert Bordello complained to prison staff. That his heart was having pains. He was taken to the prison infirmary. 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 I got it. I got it. Uh-huh. And his heart was declared unstable, so they called him a wambulance. He was then pronounced dead at 3.55 p.m. at the ripe old age of 43. That's not oh, old. I feel That's so bad. That was funny. <laughs> and just so that we can remember our victims' names... We have Jerry Howell, 19, Robert Sheldon, 20 years old, Mark Wallace, 27, James Ferris, 25, Todd Stoops, 23, Larry Pearson, 20, and our survivor, Christopher Bryson, 22, 
I didn't look up. I kind of looked up how he's doing now, but I'm suspecting that he probably doesn't want to be remembered for this necessarily uh-huh. or like have it brought up. So I just hope he's doing well and he just knows he's a really strong individual. Yeah. Good on him for getting out. Yeah. Because, I mean, how many more people would he have murdered oh, if, if so he many. didn't get away? You know? So many. He would have got caught eventually. I fully believe yeah. he was stupid. But there would have been so many more lives if Christopher didn't get away. If he didn't take that chance. Yeah. Thank God he did. And not to say, like, anything less of the other ones. Like, don't take it that way. But I mean, no, he had their chances. In, exactly. In the circumstance, Bryson's kind of got, like, a almost special treatment within yeah. his torture you know i mean the he last had the best did. circumstance to escape survive yeah so i think he had it was meant for him to do that so that that would never happen again because jesus exactly. criminy ashley i know Sickening. i conned myself into it okay i wanted a survivor case and i got one i guess <laughs> i guess it, it's just weird that like torture is your least favorite thing and here you are like mm, you're six victims of torture okay like i said i did not know there was torture i just <laughs> thought i was gonna go through a couple people remember their names have have us think about them and then boom there it was and then here you are with needles under the fingertips oh my god it literally makes me like bring my hands into itself <laughs> it makes me want to like pull on my clavicle and just <laughs> Ugh, it's so terrible yikes yeah. dude that was rough yeah it was not a fan no thank you you got a creepy fact fun fact i do Something have a good, creepy maybe? fact no it's very creepy oh great <laughs> um you probably know it but i just figured i'd tell everybody that okay uh so when you go into a coma, there is a possibility that you could be um, experiencing locked-in syndrome, which is like you're asleep and awake, so you can hear and see the things around you, but you can't talk and you can only move your eyes, so you can't respond to anything, but you can like, like everything's happening around you. So you could be in a coma and your family's like, okay, we're going to pull the cord and you can't do anything. You're just like, here I go, I'm going to die. No. <laughs> I will never very, be very the person. Creepy. I, Brayden, you hear this now. Jamie, you hear this now. Everyone around me, you hear this now. Do not put me on that list to be the person that pulls a plug because I will never pull. It. <laughs> it's not happening. Nope. Or maybe do put you on the list because then the cord will never be pulled. Oh, there. But who's going to pay for that? You know. I'm going to collections. I don't know. What I'm you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. The will I to survive is always expensive. I made an agreement with my mom that I was like, if there is zero chance, like six months to a year, if there is no change, there is yeah. nothing positive, there's not even like an inkling, like a, a, a twitch, done. You're done. <laughs> like, stop wasting your time, stop wasting your money. But if there yeah. is hope, maybe a little longer. <laughs> maybe a little longer. Maybe just hold on just like another day or two. It's fine. It's fine. But if like if there's just decline and no positive things, then why? Why why push it out? You know? Yeah. I don't know. Sounds terrible. Thanks, I hated it. Do you have a good good for me? Because Jesus. Yeah, I'm in Minnesota. And it's Minnesota. snowing on April seventh. 
That's exciting. There's still more snow in the forecast, which I think I sound like I'm upset about that, but I'm not. The way people like warm weather is the way I like cold weather. And I am thriving. <laughs> Do you know what my good good is? What? It's it was like ninety five degrees today. It's Ew. gonna be eighty six tomorrow, and I'm going to the beach. I'm gonna no. go tan. <laughs> Love that for you. Exactly. Love this We're both for exactly me. Exactly where we need to be. <laughs> Love this for us. <laughs> exactly. I'm so excited for this good weather. Well, we also and got your... our tickets, our our plane tickets for. Oh yeah. For Crime Con. Is and we're going to go to Paul Hole's book signing. Yes. We're going to the after party. So if anybody is going to be at CrimeCon this year, it's in Vegas, um, let us know. We want to see you. Wanna give you and we'll some have stickers on gifts. dick. On dick. 29? <laughs> 29? <laughs> um, wow. Well, thanks, Ash. That was fucking awful. I don't even know how to sign off properly because jesus that was i'm so uncomfy i'm in my own skin i'm sorry you're the worst i know well, when the devil can't to... reach you they'll send you an aquarius slash ginger. or a redhead exactly so fun times <laughs> had by all who are best friends with ashley it's me hello hi <laughs> <laughs> Uh, be sure to keep up, the, keep up with us on all of our socials at Bloodbath Podcast. Make sure you email us with any of your good goods or if you have a bath bomb for us with any paranormal stuff, any creepy stuff, or just a cool story. Like, even if you make it up, I don't even care. Email us. It'll be fun. We'll read it on the it podcast. It would be fun. <laughs> Check out our Patreon. You can find us everywhere at Bloodbath Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get podcasts because that super helps us and we love to see reviews. And I think that's all, folks. Yep. But wait, there's more. Bye 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 bye